Matthew. We're going to be uh, in chapter 17. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, it will do you well. I will tell you, we will also spend a bit of time in Exodus, as our text uh, will lead us there. We'll be in Exodus uh, chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. So if you want to thumb over there, just so you can look for yourself and not just take my word for it. That's what I'm always telling my kids. Don't just take my word for it. Look it up and see for yourself. This is God's word. It's not mine. So, uh, Matthew 17. Uh, before we read here, I just want to get you in the, in the mode for where, we've, uh, for where we're going. So, uh, and from, from where we've come. So in Matthew, uh, Matthew has painted this awesome picture of Jesus. And so the, the, basic, the basic pattern that, that Matthew writes in, he goes and he, he writes and he introduces the whole book. Uh, and then he gives this narrative of Jesus. And, and it's just all of the ways that he works and, and the miracles that he does and the interactions that he has with people. And then he goes and he gives uh, a sermon or a discourse. And so uh, you'll, you'll, you guys know the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most famous sermons ever. It comes at the very end of, of one of these little sections. And so you can see uh, his introduction and he gives all this narrative and then he gives a discourse. And then right after the Sermon on the Mount, what's he do? There's a little bridge and he goes back and there's this big uh, narrative part where you see all the works of Jesus and you fall in love with the way that he is and you see how tender he is. And then what's he do at the end of that second passage? He preaches another sermon. There's another discourse. And then again, you see this narrative and then again, a discourse and then a narrative. He does this five times all the way through. And so where we're picking up today is it it's at the very end of the fourth narrative. And there are five of these, so there's going to be one more after this, but he's just switching out of narrative mode and he's flipping into sermon mode. Uh, but this is the very end of the narrative mode and it's going to introduce very beautifully the sermon that follows in 18. So, all right, that's all the, the fun teaching stuff. We got that out of the way. Let's read uh, the Word of God together here. Matthew 17, 24 through 27. Let's turn our heart to God's Word. <clears throat> when, they come, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. May God bless the reading of his word. So during the last U.S. Census, uh, my father was among those in our area around Washington uh, where I grew up. Uh, I get to, to minister close to home. It's super fun um, and super humbling all at once. Uh, a prophet is without honor in his own town, right? Yeah. 
Uh, that is somewhat uh, still true. My dad was among those in our area who gathered help, uh, who, who uh, helped gather information for the census. Uh, and so he would drive up to the, the next address on his checklist, and he'd walk up to the house, and he'd talk to their owner about whatever requirement it was that uh, they needed to do still to fill out the government's census. And so he, we, we, uh, we're very, we orally, uh, we, we just tell lots of stories in our house. We love to, to share that way. And so one of my favorite things is listening to him tell my, my kids stories. It's grandpap, you know, you... Uh, most of them you can trust, but they're, uh, <laughs> they're great stories, right? And it's just really fun to do that. And so he comes home from one of his census rides, and he says, oh, you're not going to believe this one. And so he goes up, and uh, he, he walked up uh, to, to this man's house. And we live out in the country, uh, pretty far out there, like so close to West Virginia that we probably act more like we're in West Virginia. And he walks up uh, on this man's porch to gather information. He hadn't filled out his stuff yet. He says, hey. Uh, and so as he's, as he's going up his porch, he's greeted uh, by this man with his shotgun. <laughs> and, and that's actually all the part of the story that I'm, I'm going to share here. <laughs> but you can imagine what's going on with this guy. He, he's not really happy to see anybody from the government show up on his porch and tell him anything. Uh, he doesn't want to give any census stuff, any, anything. He's really not asking for money. He's just asking for information. But, uh, but my dad promptly left anyways. And so, but so you guys probably can understand this feeling a little bit. Oh, another tax. Oh, do I really want to do that? Like, ah, I don't even like what's going on here, and yet I'm supposed to you know, support it. This, this, it's that attitude, right? That's, that's what I'm, what I'm uh, trying to get at. I think another way uh, to think of this, <clears throat> I did this in the last church too, it failed me. So in our church, right or wrong, we have an American flag. And there, there's, there's debates to be, to be had. In fact, I think it's great that we don't have one here because this is a nation. Uh, this is not just a national church anymore, right? This is a, a, a church of all different people from all different nations. But when we look at the American flag, one of the things that I was always taught that the, uh, you know, you have the 50 stars, uh, the 50 stars, but when it comes to the stripes, I was always taught that uh, the white, uh, that there's the white and the red stripes. When I was looking at the red stripes, I was always taught to remember that there was blood that was spilled for my freedom. So it's symbolic. Uh, but it, it reminds me to be thankful for the people who fought for my freedom. That's quite a different feeling in the inside than standing on my porch with a shotgun, not wanting to or remembering why I can stand on my porch with a shotgun <laughs> because I have a porch because we live in a, in a free land uh, and uh, and so anyways this is what I'm after this it's this attitude here um, because this text is all about uh, an attitude it's it's about remembering that you were bought with a price that there was a price that was paid so that you could be a son or a daughter of God. And so, I want you to remember today, one thing, that's it. Remember that you were bought at a price. And if you were bought with a price, you are a child of God. So remember that.
So, uh, into our text we go. Verse 24, and they came to Capernaum. The collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter. Now, I, don't, uh, I wasn't, uh, as a pastor, I'd been through seminary. I have no idea what the two drachma tax is. Uh, however, uh, if, uh, this, if you were working for minimum wage in Rome, you would have brought home one drachma after a day's work. So this is a two days salary tax. And, uh, and so uh, when I looked more into this, I actually realized uh, that even though my illustration was about a census tax from our government, that was actually a little bit different than what was going on here. Uh, in fact, this was not Rome coming to collect taxes. This was, uh, this was the Jews. Uh, and so this tax collector here, Capernaum, was a tax center uh, and which, where there are tax collectors uh, around. Uh, they would have offices there. And so uh, they asked Peter, does your teacher not pay the tax? This tax was a temple tax. Uh, and so this is where uh, I promised we would, be, we would end up going back to Exodus 30. Uh, just for a second to show you uh, why this tax was instituted. Because this tax was actually instituted by the Lord himself. And so in Exodus 30 verses 11 through 15... Here is what we say. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one of you is numbered in the census, shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is worth 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. So this is where this tax comes from, the temple tax. And so when, when they would bring up their silver coins, this was a, a silver coins, they would all bring up their, their coins and they would bring it uh, to, to Aaron uh, and to Moses. And so when they, when they brought up, I think the picture is they're not just bringing it all so it's in like one heap, but probably more like these are people who are going to go and collect this tax time and time. Uh, and over time, they're going to they're have all this huge heap of silver. And so uh, what they're doing, uh, what the Lord did with this, he actually took, uh, they're getting ready to build the tabernacle. Uh, the Lord is going to dwell with his people. And he had just taken them out of uh, Egypt in the great exodus. And so uh, that is the biggest salvation. Uh, that's the biggest ev salvation event in the Old Testament. When God saves his people from slavery and makes them his own. And so in a lot of ways, when you talk about the sons of God, Israel itself in the Old Testament is considered the son of God. And so we know that just like Adam, we talk about Adam being a son of God, we can also rightly talk about Israel being a son of God. And so all through the Old Testament, you can see that 
that the Son of God actually isn't very faithful uh, and, and needs redeemed. We need a greater Son. And so this is what Jesus comes to. Uh, but, the, but in the Exodus text, atonement is, is on their mind. Ransom is to be remembered. They were to remember that they were bought with a price. And this is how they did it. They took all that tax... And they took those little silver coins uh, and they, they would melt them down. And so when they would go into the tabernacle, there'd be the outer court. But on the inner court, as they're worshiping God, they would look and there would be tents that would be set up. But these tents needed to be supported. And so there would be beams that were up, but they needed to have a heavy, solid base. And what was made, what what rep- uh, what consisted of those, what did those metal bases consist of? None other than this temple tax. And so it was the, their coins that, was melt, that were melted down into the, the bases of the pillar for the tabernacle. So when they worshiped God, they were to look at the bases of those silver when they were there. And they were to remember that they were bought with a price. Atonement was always to be on the people of Israel's mind. And so here we are in Matthew. And Jesus has just come down off of the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's reminded there, uh, he's, he's encouraged there by his father. Uh, and all the people, uh, the three disciples that are there with him, hear from the voice in the cloud. And we didn't read this here, but this is what he says in 17.5. He says, uh, he was still speaking when, a, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And you can imagine Jesus going down living his life, realizing that his end is coming near. He's already predicted his death one time. So he knows that he's going to Jerusalem to die. And yet he's reminded that he is the father's son and he is well pleased. And there he talks to Elijah and Moses. And what does he talk to him about? You don't get to that here in Matthew, but in Mark, he actually says that he's, he's concerned, he's talking to him about his departure do you know what that word departure? It's the same word as exodus. He's talking about his exodus. When Jesus would free people, his people from their sins once and for all. He has atonement on his mind as he comes down the mountain to heal, of transfiguration. He, he heals, uh, he, he comes down the mountain and th- there are needy people right in front of him. People who who know that he knows mercy, but's not sure that he has the power to do it. And so when he comes down, uh, his, he finds the other nine disciples that he leaves da- left down there. Uh, they're try- they've been trying to heal this boy. They've healed people before, and they just can't do it. And they're like, okay, your disciples couldn't heal my son. Can you do it? Do you think you... And he says, oh, you have little faith. And they have this faith that's just twisted. They know some things, but they don't know the big picture. They don't see that Jesus came to ransom their sin with his own life. That he is going to be the satisfaction that's going to buy them, uh, that's, that's, that's going to buy them uh, uh, sonship in, uh, with God. And so uh, they get rebuked for having a lack of faith. And then he does the second time. He says, uh, 
He says in verse 22 and 17, 17, 22, as they were gathering, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. He will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Huh. So he just said that he was going to raise from the dead and they were sad about it. I don't think they understand. They don't understand what's going to happen. All they hear is Jesus is going to die and he certainly will. It is a certain thing that Jesus is going to the cross. He is the ransom tax. Jesus is the atonement for our sins. He is the one to bring his people there. But there's a cloud there. They don't understand it all. And so here, the question I'm always asking, why did Matthew put this little section here? And so now we have where, where, we, where we read today. They're in Capernaum. The tax collectors are saying, hey, does your teacher not pay the tax? Because not everybody paid this tax. It depends what sect of Judaism you were. So, so throughout the ages, sometimes there, were not even, there was not even a temple to worship. And so uh, the tax had gone, uh, they had forgotten it altogether. David actually got his whole nation in trouble by doing a census without ever taking the tax. And what happened at the end of David's life? Tons of people died. There was plague because he didn't take, they didn't remember the ransom. Uh, and so, it, so throughout the years, this tax shifted and took different forms. And some people said, look, this is actually just from a corrupt government. We should only be paying this one time. We shouldn't be paying this our, uh, forever. We should just be able to pay this tax once, one time. We'll remember it. And then, you know, some of us aren't going to pay it anymore. Um, and so this is the question that he's asking. What is, what is Jesus going to do? Uh, does he pay this? And of course, Peter here says, yes, of course he pays it. Of course he's going to. Uh, but when Peter's doing things well, Matthew calls him Peter. But when Peter misses the mark, Matthew calls him Simon. And he says here then, uh, he, Peter's outside of the home and he, and he comes inside. When he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. He anticipated, he wasn't outside with him, but he anticipated what, what Peter was going to ask him. That's kind of crazy. Jesus knows. He knows these things anyways. And he, he anticipates him saying, he says, well, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax from their sons or from others? He didn't say, well, what do you think, Peter? Because you're getting it right. He's saying, Simon, you're missing the point here. You just told this guy, yes, but do, do rulers of the earth tax their own sons? No, they don't tax their sons. That's what Simon says himself. He says, from others. That word is translated strangers. So kings, kings back then, it's, it's not a good picture now because if, 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 uh, if we had uh, uh, some of our, if our president said, oh, well, you know, my son doesn't need to follow the rules of everybody else does. We're like, okay, it doesn't work that way. But that's not the way it worked in Rome. They're like, hey, these taxes are help paying for us to be your governor. So no, my, my son lives off of your taxes. He doesn't have to pay them. And that's what Jesus' point is here. If, you, if I am a son, I don't have to pay this tax. But Peter just said yes. And actually, he's not just saying, if I'm a son. He's saying, if you're a son too. If you're a son to the Lord of the temple, why do I have to pay a temple tax? I don't, actually. And so Simon, 
The question is, Simon, Simon, do we really need to do this? <clears throat> and this is the text. This is the text that, uh, that this, this is the verse in the text uh, that the whole, the whole passage hinges on. And so here, here when he says, it's the answer to this question, uh, from whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. And then the next word is however. So they're going to look back at this. This is the, the middle portion here. So the sons are free. So there is a, there is a book series that many of you will be familiar with uh, that, uh, that we read all the time. We had tons of uh, this series. The, it was the Berenstain Bears. Have you ever, anybody ever read the Berenstain Bears? We read that, and you'd flip it over, and my kids like to do this still. They're all of the, like, the extra, all the different books are on the back of it, and so my kids are going through, and they're like, oh, I like that one, I like this one. We haven't read this one, Mom. You know, maybe we should get that one. There was one of these Berenstain Bear uh, books uh, that uh, I never asked to get read to me twice uh, because it's terrifying, and I won't even read it to my kids. Uh, I think it's awful. <laughs> it was so scary to me. It like left deep impressions. Uh, and it's uh, the Berenstain Bears Stranger Danger. I, I don't know if that's the real name, but it teaches them about that not everybody is your friend, right? So like, don't just go off and like run into a van with a lollipop, you know, because they might not have your good interest in mind. It doesn't do it quite that way, but it is like, it's creepy. And one of the reasons it's creepy is because as a child, can you imagine what it does to your worldview? You're, you're going out there, you think everybody's for you. You're like, yeah, like everybody's like mom and dad, right? They want the best for me. But I'm saying, hold on, all strangers are not good. Some are, you know, they're stranger danger. So be careful. And then that, that, that book gets like, driven into your mind when you're when you go to uh, Walmart it, it wasn't Walmart back then uh, but we'll just use it now when you go into Walmart with your mom and dad and uh, you're not really paying attention and they're kind of stuck on their list and all of a sudden you look around and you don't see anybody <laughs> and you're like a kid and you're like Okay, and all of a sudden you start wandering through the aisles, trying to find mom and dad. Your heart, you're like panicking. You might scream or yell, right? You know that this is a strange place, and your mom and dad aren't there, and what's up? Like, you're looking for somebody that you know, right? And so if somebody comes up to you in that moment, it's not, you know, you, you want to find someone who you know, who, who would recognize your voice, uh, uh, this, this happened to me, uh, it was the opposite of this, this little boy comes up to me and, and grabs onto my leg, and he looks up and he's like horrified because I'm not his dad. <laughs> he's like, ah! <laughs> oh, you're a stranger, I don't know you. Yeah, okay. So this is the idea that, uh, that, that Jesus is after here. He says, are you going to act like you're a stranger, like you're just somebody else, or aren't you to act as you're a child of God? You're a child of the one who owns this temple, to whom they worship. You are not bound in the same way that strangers are. You're a child. 
You come, and with that comes all the benefits of being a child. Do you know that song, uh, When the Saints Go Marching In? It's one of my favorite songs to think about adoption because it echoes parts of the, uh, uh, I'm sure it didn't have this in mind, but it echoes parts of the Westminster, uh, the Westminster, uh, the shorter catechism that talks about adoption as being having all the benefits of the child of God being being uh, added to his number. Oh, how I want to be in that number when the saints come marching in. Why do you want to be in that number? Because that's your dad. Because you're part of his family. And you get all the benefits, all the inheritance from your father. Adoption is so sweet. And so this is... This is uh, it, it free, the adoption. When we remember who we are, child of God, when you have faith, even as a mustard seed, you don't have to live as though you're still in debt. You look to the cross because he has paid your ransom. You don't owe him anything because he looks on Jesus and he counts you as righteous in his place. Phil Riken says this. <clears throat> he says, The truth is that everything we are and everything we have belongs to God. And when they instituted this tax, it was to make sure that the Israelites remembered this, especially when they were taking a census, uh, that they might be f- tempted to forget that God required a ransom from every man in Israel by paying a half shekel. They were acknowledging that they did not belong to God. I'm sorry, but that they did not belong to themselves, but they belonged to God. Far be it from Jesus not to pay this tax. But isn't it ironic that they want Jesus' money when he would pay with his very life? He would pay this far more than just money. So consider your status before the king. If your ransom is paid, you are no longer a stranger. You're a son and a daughter. And as a son and a daughter of the king, you are free. You are free to, uh, as uh, chapter 7 of the confession says, you are free to enjoy all the liberties and privileges of the children of God. You have his name put on you. You've received the spirit of adoption. You have access to the throne of grace with boldness and able to cry, Abba, Father. You cry out to him and he doesn't harden his heart. He has pity on you like a mom for her baby or like a father for his daughter. There's a reason they say it's a, it's a thing and they say, oh, she's wrapped around your finger. It's because there's this outpouring of love that even when you discipline your kids, it's, it's coming from love. And you are heirs to all of his promises even of everlasting salvation. And so as children of the heavenly king, you are free to do the unexpected with others because you don't need to prove anything. Not only are you free, but God provides everything that you need, everything that you are afraid of losing. 
So how do we know that God provides? Look at this in verse 26, uh, verse 27. He says, however, right, after then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. What God requires from you, God provides for you. That's probably a quote from Augustine. But it's good and it's true. And you see it right here. They needed to pay this tax, even though they didn't really need to. But the people who are even asking the question, Jesus has mercy on them. He knows that they don't understand the big picture yet. They don't understand that Jesus is coming and that he's come to die as a way to satisfy God's wrath. He's going to pay the whole cost for them, but they don't understand yet. They don't know. They don't even understand what he says, that they're going to, he's going to be delivered into the hands of men, that they're going to kill him and he'll be raised on the third day. Most of them don't even realize that, but the ones who do know that are still distressed. That still upsets them. That's not a glorious thing to them. They don't understand what it means to live in the resurrected power of Jesus. And we live on this side of the cross. You are sons and daughters. You have the resurrected power of Jesus as your strength. So you don't have to prove yourself anymore. What are you afraid of losing? I think that I am afraid of losing my reputation sometimes. I think that as a dad, uh, I can be really harsh, especially with my son. My daughters, it's a little different. I have to work differently on. But my son, Caleb, uh, I regularly have to remember to be gentle with him. Uh, and I think... This could be different for you. Moms, I think this is different for my wife too because it's, it's my daughter Hannah and my daughter uh, Rachel that probably is, is, this, is this way with my wife Maggie. But sometimes uh, your kid says something and it just like makes you bristle and you're like, I am your dad and you're going to listen to me. <laughs> Period. End. Like I just want him to, I just want him to, to do that. Uh, and, and, there, and there's, a part of, there's a part of me that says, yes, you know, I have to raise my kid in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, elders, what about when you're trying to, uh, to shepherd these beautiful, lovely people that never sin that you're in charge of? <laughs> Tongue in cheek. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure every time you show up and, and you know, you, you talk to them about hard things, they're like, you are so wise. Thank you for that. And you're laughing. So you know this is true of you. Yeah. It's just not the way that it is so much. But you know what? There's a part of me as a dad and as a pastor who has to learn to die to myself. I have to die to that, to that part of me that forgets that I was bought with a price. That Jesus is the one who owns my identity. That my identity doesn't come from anything else. It's nothing that I'm paying here. That, that even as they paid that temple tax, it wasn't their tax. 
that, that got them atoned. That was just a shadow of Jesus remembering you before the Father. It was his precious blood. It's meant to be precious to you. And so as Jesus becomes more precious to you, well, that's, I guess that's the first question. Is Jesus precious to you? If he's not precious to you, if these are things that, if, if I'm telling you about being a child of God, if you look at God and you're like, oh Lord, don't, you know, just, if you don't understand what it's like that God is merciful, I want to challenge you to talk to your elders about it and ask them about their own experience of Christ's mercy. Because it is beautiful when people who are leaders can lead with grace and mercy. And I've met some of these men. I've got to minister alongside of this church, which is kind of neat. I've got to see some of the underworkings, some of where the sausage is made. And I think that I am in awe of God for calling teachers uh, and ruling elders like you have. They are not perfect. But God is using them. Uh, and so if you don't know what it's like to know the mercy of God and his kindness and gentleness, go to your elders, go to your pastors, go to your deacons and ask them. If you will just have a little faith, you'll see that God is merciful and you'll see that there is a different way to live. Uh, so, um, you are free as sons, as children. You, you, uh, you don't have anything to prove. You don't have to be afraid of losing anything. Um, one of the things that I think we often lose as children uh, is the carefreeness of life. Childhood is often defined as being carefree. It doesn't mean it's not without difficulties and tears, uh, but it's true that the nature uh, of children to trust their parents for the roof over their head, for the clothes on their back, for their next meal, uh, that's, that's a part of being a child. Uh, but as you shift from being a child to uh, what the kids say now, adulting, all of a sudden you need to provide for yourself. Uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> uh, your life now comes with added cares. When, when you start to realize this and start to get off on your own and do the things that your parents have prepared you to do, you lose that childlikeness in this world. But as a Christian, if you lose that childlikeness, you have lost so much. And if you followed the sermon that Jesus is about to preach after this, that I'm not going to preach today, but I'll encourage you to read chapter 18. Because Matthew is going to show how, uh, how, how Jesus is teaching on being on how to live as a free child of God. It totally changes the relationships in your life. Matthew 18 is all about having right relationships with one another. If you ask your elders, say, well, where do I go if I've got a problem with somebody? They're going to say, Matthew 18. They say, well, well this person sinned against me. Where, you, where do I go? How can I get help? Matthew 18. Because it tells you about reconciliation. If a brother has sinned against you, what do you do? You go and you talk to your brother. And if you, if you talk to him about how he sinned against you, you're made right with each other. 
then you've won a brother over. But it doesn't always work that way. And so if it doesn't work that way, bring two or three with you. And guess what? In all of this, Jesus is with you in this. Why is Jesus with you? Because you've been adopted as children and you've been gifted his spirit. And so by the spirit of Christ, through his free people, made free to live and to lay down your life and to die to yourself, that you don't have to demand that people treat you right because Jesus didn't get treated right. Because he had his eyes on the cross and he loved you and he obeyed his father. And so to be a son or a a daughter of the king means you can die to yourself. It just means following in the Savior's footstep. Look to the cross. Cast your eyes to Jerusalem. That's where he's going. He is not content to just live where he's at. He dies more and more. And so there's a, one of my favorite pastors in our presbytery says this. He told me this. We were going through a hard time. We just had a pastor change. He said, Phil, if you are not will, if you want your people to bleed, you're going to have to hemorrhage. If you want your children to learn humility, fathers, you're going to have to be prostrate before them. You're going to have to show them so much grace, and to show them that you rely on Jesus, not yourself. And then when, you're, when, when you want to step up to your son because he's just offended your honor right in front of a crowd of people, and you want to puff up your chest and say, son, listen up. You know, we want to be intimidating. And you say, no, I don't need to do that. I can die to my reputation here. Because it doesn't matter what people think of me. And, and moms and grandmas, when your people disrespect you or when you're embarrassed about the way your family is or when you look at your church and you're like, we're a mess. And you say, I probably should go to a different church. <laughs> Grow, realize that God is doing a sanctifying work in you as his son or daughter and ask this question, what is the Lord doing with me? Why am I going through this? What part of me needs to die to remember that I am still reliant on Jesus for my life? And so, you can pray when it's like this. You can pray specifically for your, in terms of your sin struggle. Pray that the Lord would attract, this is, this is from, drawn from the imagery here. When you're struggling to remember you're a child, and remembering that he provides for everything you need, pray to the Lord that he would attract the fish in the sea that would swallow the coin to bite your hook that you are throwing into the water right now because you are in need of his provision And then, trust him with the results. See, Christ in his position as king defends you from all of his enemies and all of your enemies. He can help you to put to death your own personal needs as he teaches you that you don't need anything but Jesus. You have everything that you need and he will make sure of it regardless of how painful it is Remember that Jesus walked that path and he will give you what you need in the moment that you need it. He always provides a way of escape. 
from every temptation that comes before you. Just ask for help. This is the way that your father in heaven loves you as his child. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that make you want to go out and live for God? How beautiful is God? How awesome is it that he pays the price, not just for himself, but for all of his adopted children? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we were bought at a price that you, before time began, knew the, the best way to teach us about mercy and goodness, to teach us about the way that you relate with yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity, and that you know that as we seek other things, that we are never filled up, that we think that we need all of these other things to be happy, to be satisfied. But you teach us that we don't. I pray that you would overflow your spirit to us with so many gifts that we are just left breathless in awe of your spirit and your kindness. Lord, I pray for us because we have nagging sins. Sins that we can't get over. Sins that we, sh- we are ashamed of and that we are rightly guilty of. But we can't get over it. It's just this indwelling sin that we struggle with. And yet we're your people. We're supposed to be different. And just like Peter, we want to say, yeah, we're going to pay the tax. Lord, I'll do it in my own strength. No. Father, teach us to be your son and your daughter. Help us to come to you, to reach the end of our rope, that we must rely on you for strength. And Lord, we ask that you'd provide the strength that we need to exalt Christ in our lives, to lay down our pride, to lay down even our good name. Because you did that. Lord, let us take the name of Christ. Let us remember our baptism, that your name is on us. And that you humbled yourself. And that you are strong when we are weak. Be strong in our midst, Lord. Make us strong as your people. Help us to relish in Jesus, who is the ransom, the atoning sacrifice, the one who makes us children of God. Do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.